everybody. This is Erin Hesse from High Point Church doing the Engage and Equip podcast, and I'm here with Nick Gibson. Hey, everybody. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the idea that the Bible is both a liberating and limiting uh, factor in and huge part of our life as Christians. Um, recently, the staff has been going through this book called Dynamics of Spiritual Life by Richard Lovelace, where his main goal is to communicate the spiritual renewal that happens in a person's life once they come to understand the gospel, and then what that should really mean for us as believers. He spends a really good time, uh, a good amount of time reflecting on the history of the church and the patterns that have emerged and reemerged throughout its history, and then how we might look at those past events to make choices about how we should deal presently in this life that we're living. So um, yeah. he outlines really well the elements of spiritual renewal and um, that these elements are really universal to following Jesus. And so, Nick, can you explain those elements that he talks about? Uh, you were very clear as to staff that it's on page 75 of this book, and mm-hmm. so we have it all pretty yeah. much memorized. So, yeah, explain that for our listeners. Yeah, so the Loveless book is almost just a 350-page book. Um, on page 75, there's a diagram of his whole outlay, which is that the preconditions of renewal right, are a depth understanding of sin, both personally and in our community, mm-hmm. right? And a depth understanding of the holiness of God, which includes his holy love mm-hmm. and his holy justice. Okay, so those right. things we need to know even before there's... Right, those are, those are what prepare the heart mm-hmm. to be open properly to the message of Christ, that God is totally God, both in his love and in his justice. Both are holy, completely other, mm-hmm. completely right, completely pure, right? Mm-hmm. And that we are sinful, both individually... Are, we're all individually sinful, but in, we're also sinful together. Mm-hmm. We cre- have a, we've created a little mob of sin, and that though we exist, but yet we still bear the image of God that He's given us. And that when that happens, you realize you're valuable in the image of God. Therefore, God cares whether or not you live out your creative purpose, and it matters whether or not you live out your creative purpose. And um, in recognizing who God is related, to that you go, oh my gosh, there's some kind of issue here. Mm-hmm. Literally, you would say, oh my God, there's some kind of issue, right? <laughs> And that's when the when, that's when Christ is pressed in, right? Mm-hmm. So in Christ, four things remedy that situation, right? And he okay. calls these the primary elements of renewal, okay? Right, and they are the first one is justification, and he summarizes all these theological words with sort of a simple sentence that you could know. Right? Mm-hmm. So justification is I am accepted. Mm-hmm. That is in the death and resurrection of Christ, his justice is his righteousness is applied to you. His your sin is put on him, and you are set perfectly innocent before God. That is, you are accepted. Mm-hmm. That is particularly morally and legally accepted because mm-hmm. you've always been relationally loved, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but whether or not that relationship could exist deter- is determined by certain moral and legal dynamics, sure. right? And so that is set right in justification. You're set right, right just or counted, pardoned, mm-hmm. or innocent, and that right? happens. Once, just immediately, when you accept Christ, yeah. right? You you yeah. receive it's a complete instantaneous gift because it's the status, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be instantaneous, right? Sure. The second is sanctification, which is summarized by "you are free." That it, by free, what he means is that before Christ and before you experienced the miracle of regeneration, you really were a sin slave. Mm-hmm. It had a chain on you. You really your your free will was bound. And so though you, you were created to have a freedom of the will, you no longer practically did have a freedom of the will because you were dominated by sin in the flesh, mm-hmm. right? And so in sanctification, you still are tempted to sin. You still may choose to sin. 
um, you still are in danger of sin and have to be vigilant. But you mm-hmm. no longer have to sin. Mm-hmm. There is no sin you must do. The way John Wesley said it was, and somebody who's been who, who's experienced this, is sin remains, but it doesn't reign, which mm-hmm. is a fun little alliteration, mm-hmm. right? For yep. you are free. Hmm. Right. The third is you are not alone, which is the indwelling of Christ or the presence of Christ. That is that when we accept Christ, not only our is our spiritual self regenerated and made alive, but Christ himself in the person of the Spirit, God comes to live in us, bound together with and in union with our regenerated spiritual self. Right? Mm-hmm. And so we we're never alone. And so we we don't we're never alone morally, meaning God is always watching us in that sense is always with us. Mm-hmm. But it also means that we don't go through anything alone. Mm-hmm. We're never left merely to ourselves. And so there's both a benefit and terrifying part of that, mm-hmm. right? And then the last is that uh, you have authority, which is sp- basically spiritual authority in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that is that G- Jesus has given you the authority both um, in, the f- in, in the physical, cultural, political world to be who he said we are. We have the right to be Christians. We have the right to share the gospel, for example. Right? Mm-hmm. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and therefore go and make disciples. So it's based on his authority, so we have the authority to do that. And then in the spiritual realm, what we call spiritual warfare, right? that um, we have the authority to be Christians and to stand against um, sin, death, hell, the flesh, and the devil. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so we have the ability and the authority then to act as Christ's agents in the world and that that's not presumptuous. We can be presumptuous about it, mm-hmm. but the idea itself that we're Christ's agents in the world is not presumptuous. It's actually accepting with humility what, what Jesus has said we are mm-hmm. and that we have to do that because that's our identity. Yeah. So those four things, justification, you're accepted, sanctification, you're free, mm-hmm. um, union with Christ, you're not alone, mm-hmm. and a th- spiritual authority um, you have authority in Christ. Mm-hmm. Those four things make up the primary elements of renewal. And if if we understand our salvation in all four of those points, it will be decently holistic. Mm-hmm. If we narrow it, it can get all weird. Sure. And those are the things that we really, we don't have any control over. Those are given to us once we accept Christ into our lives. Yes? We have control over appropriating them, but no, con- okay. no, right. we don't make them. Right? right. Those are all gift. And so then the appropriating of them is what in the secondary. secondary okay. Right. Right. And so when you talk about, okay, so now what do we do? Like, mm-hmm. how does it create a, a community of believers? Mm-hmm. And um, Loves has uh, has um, has a bunch of, five of those as well. So there's four primary elements. Mm-hmm. There's five secondary elements. Mission, both in proclaiming it and in demonstrating it with our lives. Mm-hmm. It, prayer, um, that is expressing dependence on the power of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's both individually, we, we engage in private prayer and corporately where we pray with others, right? Mm-hmm. Community, which is being in union with his body, which he would, which he says in micro-communities and macro-communities, which to him means this, that you're part of a local church, a real concrete local church that knows it's part of something bigger. And mm-hmm. people at High Point have heard me say that phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, a church yeah. that is a real local church, we are a micro-community, mm-hmm. but we know we're part of the macro-community. We're part of something bigger. Um, which includes other churches and other Christians all over the world and even in our city. Mm-hmm. But it also is theologically knowing that we are part of the church, which is every Christian going back to Abraham and Noah. Right. And, you know, yeah. all the way back. Everybody who is part, is among the saints sure. 
in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so that's community. And then disenculturation is freeing ourselves from cultural blinders, mm-hmm. right? So there are ways in which we can't see what the gospel is really saying, either because our culture, that is worldliness, has convinced us of something, mm-hmm. or because in the church we've created these structures to protect us, sure. which have created protective binders, mm-hmm. blinders, like legalisms, mm-hmm. right? We're like, oh, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And that's really not the gospel. And that can be a blinder as well. So sure. there's protective. And this is this is what we're going to come back to for liber- liberating versus con- controlling principles. Mm. Yep. Is this concept of disenculturation? Yeah. Where are we being conservatively blind? Mm-hmm. And where are we being progressively blind? Mm. Yep. And how does the Bible help us with both of those, yeah. right? But then the last of these secondary elements is theological integration which is having the mind of Christ, Mm -hmm. which is the goal of discipleship, having the mind of Christ and then expressing that in the character of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And that is um, toward revealed truth, which is the Bible and Christ, Mm -hmm. and towards the culture. So um, theological integration is what we call contextualization, which Mm -hmm. is, okay, we take the Bible, we take, you know, Karl Barth um, and John Stiebel said, it's the Bible on one hand or the newspaper on the other, Mm -hmm. right? Or the news app now, right? Mm -hmm. That you're like, okay, so what's happening in the world? What's the world like out there that we can observe, mm-hmm. right? What does the Bible say? How do these go together? Yeah. Right? And that process teaches us to think um, God's thoughts after him, as Copernicus said. I can't remember who said that quote. <laughs> it's a famous quote that is misattributed commonly, but mm. <laughs> um, but a number of theologians have said, our goal is not to think God's thoughts ahead of him. It's just to think his thoughts after sure. him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a staff, we've been talking about this, and it was... Yeah. Um, And specifically when we were focusing in on these secondary elements of renewal, we spent a really um, good bit of time on the uh, disenculturation Mm -hmm. and theological integration and what that means for, um, what does that mean for us as a culture as we, like you you said, holding the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And that particular topic really piqued my interest because of the upcoming series that we have coming up um, Mm -hmm. onward where it's about engaging the culture, um, well, without losing the gospel. Right. And so, um, you know, w- when we focus on, uh, bringing those two things together, we talk about the revealed truth in which, um, where we have on um, the Bible and, and what that, mm-hmm. what that is to us and what it says about us and, um, about the life that we are living. And I remember in that staff discussion, you said that the Bible is both limiting and liberating. Right. And, um, that it really offers both principles, um, limitations and liberation. And yet, for me personally, and I think a lot of people, Christians or not, when they think about the Bible, they think of it as a limiting, uh, there are limiting principles within it, that it's something that we're supposed to stay in line, do the Christian life, and then if there is liberation, it's it comes at the end of our life. It's That's something that we'll experience in heaven. It's not something that will bring blessing necessarily to us now. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is, it's, it's still not what we would consider um, freeing. So right. um, so when <clears throat> yeah. you said that, yeah, it, just, it caught my attention. So when, what are some of those examples in the Bible where, where you see liberation versus limiting? And yeah, how do people normally hear those different right. things? So one of the things I talked about in a sermon recently is actually that, that God's interest for us is, is that we would be both free and good. So the divine society, or what, what heaven will be like, is it will be a place where people are live in liberty, that is, in, fru- in real freedom, mm-hmm. right? And yet they're the kind of people that, it, by living freely, will produce justice and peace, mm-hmm. okay? And so um, 
people often think that if you, there's too much liberation, what you get is libertinism, right? Mm-hmm. And because the Bible is a clearly moral book, there's a lot of moral, like, don't do this mm-hmm. kind of stuff in it. Right. People go, oh, so the Bible is a limiting book, mm-hmm. right? So we're too libertine as a creature, right? And so we need the Bible to narrow the scope of what we think we're allowed to do so sure. that we have a moral structure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem with that is is that you just have to ask yourself, have you ever met someone whose moral understanding was clearly perverted because it was too conservative, mm-hmm. right? That it was too structured, that it was sure. too you can't. Yep. And the, the you can't actually produced a, a diminishing of the positive actions that should happen mm-hmm. or eliminated human liberty, right? And the answer is, of course, yeah. right? It's called legalism, <laughs> yeah. right? And so in the Bible, you have, um, you have two things, right? You have limiting principles and liberating principles, just theological principles. Mm-hmm. And you have examples of God demanding people become more conservative, so to speak, but more more limited mm-hmm. and more liberal, mm-hmm. like more open, more, hey, you should be doing this thing, yeah. right? And so the, the, the Christian, then, if they're reading the Bible carefully, is going to say, oh, this is what it looks like to live in liberty and moral beauty, mm-hmm. the kind of freedom that produces justice and peace. Because that's what liberty is. Mm-hmm. Liberty isn't being libertine. It is having freedom and and holding it in its proper relationship to everything else, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so, for example, in the Bible, you have places where God's like, you should be doing more of this, mm-hmm. right? You think that you're following all the rules, but you're really, you've missed the spirit. This is where mm-hmm. people say, oh, you should be, the, the liberating principle comes in where it's kind of like, you're okay, yeah, that's the law, but you've missed the spirit of the law. Mm-hmm. So everywhere where Jesus is like, hey, don't, don't you see you're making up your own rules here? Mm-hmm. Whether it's Jesus saying, um, you know, you've you've said, um, oh, hey, well, how you wash pots and kettles is super important for being clean. He's like, what comes out of you makes you clean or unclean. Mm-hmm. Don't you get it? Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't matter if you if you clean these things. Um, you know, the, the cloth coming down from heaven where God says, the cleanliness not laws no longer apply in terms of setting apart a people of God mm-hmm. you're, because you've been set apart in Christ now. Mm-hmm. And so you can eat whatever you want, right? That's a, liber, a liberating event yep. where God says, yeah, you can eat shrimp. It's cool. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's good, mm-hmm. right? And so um, there, are, there are ways in which you see that the role of women change over the course of the Bible where um, there are certain laws in place partly because there were certain cultures in place. And there's a lot of things in the Bible that um, in the Old Testament that um, theologians call divine concessions, that in the context of the culture the people of God already had when the, God, the, the Torah came in, right, the, the first books of the Bible, mm-hmm. um, on the basis of that structured society, he gave certain laws. So, for example, nowhere in the Torah does it say, hey, you should have slaves. It assumes that cultures are based on systems of slavery. Mm-hmm. And so in the midst of that, God gave liberational commandments about how slavery was going to be practiced in that context so given that this is how the society works is how you deal with debt this is how Mm -hmm. you deal with loss this is how you deal with a lot of things here's what you can't do Mm -hmm. you can't keep someone longer than seven years because no debt you can't claim any but seven years of somebody's life pays off any debt according to god right doesn't matter how much they owe you if they labor for you for seven years they're free Mm -hmm. right no matter what every 50 years things got reset Mm -hmm. if you lost your land 
you'd never be able to provide for yourself. Even if you got out of slavery after seven years, there'd be no work for you, right? Mm -hmm. And so after seven years, all the land went back, Mm -hmm. right? And if that got fishy, every 50 years, everything got totally reset. Now, Mm -hmm. the humans didn't actually obey any of this, right? (laughs) But these were God's liberating principles Mm -hmm. in that context. As the Bible moves forward, the way slaves are looked at, and, and later the way women are looked at, begins to move and change. Mm-hmm. And so um, and it's always still applying God's original principles. For example, that men and women are both created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. What that looks like culturally changes and moves as God is moving towards a more liberated outcome. Mm-hmm. But it's not, the goal is not to get rid of all constraints. Right. The goal is to move people forward to have a proper understanding of what liberty looks like. Mm-hmm. Like the kind of freedom that produces peace and justice. Mm-hmm. Where he's maximizing freedom so we don't need any outward constraints because we constrain ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so humanity for, you know, like you know, 3,000 years or more has been debating this concept of how do you tighten things up versus loosen things up. Yeah. Right. So there's yeah. this quote I love from G.K. Chesterton from, in, from 1924. Okay. So this is a, a while back. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but, but you'll notice when I read this, it's like no time has passed. Mm-hmm. Okay. He says, the, the whole modern world has divided itself into conservatives and progressives. The business of progressives is to go on making mistakes. The business of conservatives is to prevent mistakes from being corrected. <laughs> and, you know, he's kind of getting at something there, that, like, the whole idea of liberal is let's try stuff. Yeah. Let's express ourselves more. Let's loosen things up. Let's do stuff that's new. Let's... Right. Mm-hmm. And doing that, you can make lot, you're going to make lots of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And in certain cases, you're going to throw the baby out of the bathwater. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a principle of movement. It gets, leads you to no conclusions. Right. right. Um, liberalism isn't a thing. It can't really be a philosophy. Right. And if you talk to any liberal, they hold very tenaciously and conservative to conservatively to a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. We call their philosophy liberal or progressive. But progress is a contentless word. Right. And so and liberal just means try stuff. Progress just means move forward. Mm-hmm. Well, what what's forward? That is presume it's circular reasoning, right? Sure. It presumes a conclusion from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Conservative is similarly. Conserve what? Right? Do yeah. we conserve everything? Mm-hmm. And the answer is of course not. You can't conserving everything means you can never correct a mistake. Mm-hmm. Right? And so n- no Christian can just say, I'm a conservative, I'm a progressive. I mean that philosophically more than politically. Okay? Sure. I think it, 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 it's true politically. Mm-hmm. And I think if you understand you can't just be one or the other, it'll keep you from being captured politically. Yeah. But I think any Christian has to say, no, the Bible has liberating principles and has conserving principles. Mm-hmm. Right? It has limiting principles. The limiting principles say you can't go farther than this. If, you, if your liberating notions say that this constraint doesn't matter anymore, you've misunderstood liberty. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, for example, if liberty means you can commit adultery, then you've misunderstood liberty, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. basic, right? If liberty means you can covet and take your neighbor's property, wife, or whatever, yeah. that's called coveting. Yeah. You've misunderstood liberty, yeah. right? If liberty means you can worship whatever you want mm-hmm. and not the true God that is, right? Mm-hmm. You've misunderstood liberty. Mm-hmm. Now, by that, I don't mean the government constraining. I just mean you personally right. believing you can just do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, no, you have to be constrained by what's true and the yeah. God who is there deserves your worship. Yeah. And therefore, it is not within the realm of liberty for you to redefine reality and worship whatever you want. Yeah. So right? on the flip side of that, then what is the 
what what could be the issue if if you are holding so tightly to um, limiting versus liberating? Yeah. So the the, the danger with limiting is is that um, you tend to narrow certain things and you forget the purpose of why they're there. And so Isaiah 1 is a good example of this, right? There's a lot of anti-religious critique in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Whenever everybody, like, you know, the new atheists are like, ah, religion is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, their, the only thing that's new-er about their critiques is that they're bad. They're just mm-hmm. poor quality critiques of religion. Critiques of religion have been happening in religion, and particularly in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? The Bible is full of re- religious critiques of itself. Mm-hmm. You have a very hard time finding this in Islam. Right. Yeah. Obviously, it's in Judaism because most of these are Jew- Jewish right. books, um, and so you you get God saying, "This is not what how I wanted you to do this." Mm-hmm. Right. So Isaiah, when he says, "You go out and you you fill your hands with blood, actually committing injustice," then you come and you do your religious duties, and you think that I'm happy and I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And in the book of Amos, for example, he he talks about devouring widows' houses and things like that. Now, when he says devouring widows' houses, he might mean um, that they are doing something that is against the law. But it also might mean that they're doing something that is a legal fiction, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, Martin Luther King was right when he said a law that's unjust, a law that is immoral, um, loses its authority. I mean, that's not the exact quote from mm-hmm. King, obviously. But the idea is, is that if you say, for example, it's okay to segregate for black people, mm-hmm. and that's the law. It doesn't become right because right. it's the law. It's so wrong. And so same thing. And, and God is concerned about morality, mm-hmm. not law. Right. Mm-hmm. His law, he, when he gives a law, he sees that as an expression of his character and what is morally true. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we have a law that, that allows us, for example, to confiscate property or whatever, and that's not morally right, God can still refer to us as robbing widows' homes. Mm-hmm. And you might be like, well, it's legal. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter to him. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're supposed to know what real liberty is. And you're supposed to constrain it properly on the basis of what's morally true. Mm-hmm. And so you're supposed to understand. So, so Jesus comes along and he says, listen, you've heard it said don't commit adultery. I say don't lust after a woman in your heart or you've already committed adultery, right? Mm-hmm. Was that a new teaching or not, right? Mm-hmm. Like on, on one level, it was a new teaching and Jesus was pushing it further. Mm-hmm. On another level, if it's wrong to commit adultery, if that's wrong, couldn't anybody think about it in the right spirit for 20 minutes and realize that you shouldn't sit around lusting after right. other people? Right. Of course you could, right? So in the Bible, you get you get this humiliation of conservatism mm-hmm. in that some of what we're conserving is actually wrong and has to be changed, mm-hmm. right? There is such a thing as reform mm-hmm. that's right. Right. And yet at the same time, loosening things up really often isn't the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So do you have, like, for right now, the cultural climate that we're in and just the things that are going on, um, in your opinion and after, you know, with a lot of the studying that you've done and the reading, what are some very specific topics that, you know, they're hot topics right now, they're talked about, that Christians often lean one side to one side or the other, limiting or liberating, mm-hmm. and where we maybe need to take that 20 minutes to think, like, is this, am I leaning too much to one side or not? Right. Yeah. So in a few, a f- several years back, I think it was back in the 80s, Charles Taylor, who is a, um, a professor at, you know, I think, University of Chicago, I can't remember now, um, he wrote a book about, about the secular city. And th- the book most evangelicals read is James K. Smith or Jamie Smith wrote a book called um, How Not to Be Secular. And he said, you know, when secularity comes, um, 
people have basically given themselves one of two choices. How do we deal? Because in, in like, so I'm, I'm going to take it historical, but I'm going to come back mm-hmm. to this in a second. So in the medieval period, there were two ways to be Christian. Okay. You could be a monk or you could be like a normal person. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the monks were like super religious. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the normal people were like, they let the monks kind of be religious for them. Mm-hmm. And they'd come to church and stuff. Sure. But for the most part, like the monks would pray for them. Yeah. And the monks would hear their confessions and yeah. bless them. And, and there was this kind of two-tiered system. And Protestants have always talked about how horrible that was. And mm-hmm. from the level of the priesthood of all believers, it wasn't helpful. There were a lot of things wrong with it, right? Mm-hmm. But one of these Taylor said was it allowed people who didn't have a sacred vocation to live within a sacred mm-hmm. space, right? Yeah. He said when this, the modernity came, there ended up being this question of like, how do we keep things going, Right. Mm -hmm. Because if there wasn't a holy sacredness that told us what to do and not do, how to be liberated and how to be conservative, Mm -hmm. then how do you do it? And um, Taylor said there's basically two answers or Smith summarizes it this way. James Smith. He said, you can either say, hey, we need to loosen things up or, hey, we need to tighten things up. Mm -hmm. Right. And those are the two personal, emotional instincts mm-hmm. hey man we need to we need to strap like the, the ship's going to go through so we need to strap everything down we need to tie stuff down we need to tighten things up we need to and then other people are like no the problem is everything's been too tightened up yeah. everything's been too locked down we need to loosen everything up we need to be and so you get expressivism like i need what's what's in me is with mm-hmm. authentic i need to be myself i know what and then you have other people who are like no you got to be this right mm-hmm. and my message of application would be this there, it, you can't take one of those two shortcuts if you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. Because um, if you move in the conservative direction, you will become a legalist. Uh, you will miss the point, right? Mm-hmm. You will not allow things to be corrected. And you'll find self-justifications for all your conservations. Mm-hmm. And um, you won't embody the Reformation principle, reformed it, yet always reforming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you won't, you won't move towards liberty. Because you'll be afraid of libertinism, mm-hmm. right? And so you can't just be conservative. Okay. And yet at the same time, you can't just be liberal. You can't just be progressive. You can't just be, well, let's just loosen it up. Let's just express ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because it, that doesn't take into account all of the limitations God has put on human beings for purposes of truth, beauty, justice, and liberty. Mm-hmm. And that in order for us to live out liberty, we need both constraints. And we need to see the truth of those constraints. Mm-hmm. And we need to see the liberations and the truth of those liberations. So in that sense, this always, this starts with truth, mm-hmm. right? And that's why what you brought up before is the right thing is this really gets back to what Lovelace calls theological integration, mm-hmm. that you can't just become a Christian, accept Jesus and then go, and now I'm going to be a conservative because mm-hmm. abortion must be bad because abortion is mm-hmm. bad. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's true. So mm-hmm. well, there it is. Or you say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm going to be a Democrat because you know, racism's bad mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Um, and that's it. Mm-hmm. That's not really how it works. Yeah. What we do is we become Christians. We go through disenculturation and theological integration, right? Mm-hmm. We take off our cultural blinders to the best we can, both our religiously conservative ones or our worldly um, secular or libertine ones. Mm-hmm. And we say, Jesus, what does it look like to think your thoughts after you? Mm-hmm. What's true about my nature, about human society, about who we are, about what it looks like to be a loving person, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and we have to be a little bit more hard-minded about this than we've been. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then we need to figure out what to do. And some of the places where these are most in tension are some of the places where people struggle the the most with them. uh, Homosexuality is a really good example Mm -hmm. of this, right? Where you have people who have one of the most profound internal self-expressional needs, right? People with same-sex attractions are just kind of like, I just am same-sex attracted. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to change this. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, Sexual expression is very important for human life. Mm And enjoyment, celibacy in our sexualized culture seems utterly impossible. Right. Surely it's right for me to express this, and therefore you should have a posture that it encourages me to express it mm-hmm. with the fewest constraints possible. Mm-hmm. So li- liberal mainline Christians, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, okay, but you should be monogamous. Yeah. Right? That's kind of how sure. like the UCC or the whatever church would deal with it. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, you're right, you need to express yourself, we need to liberate in that sense. But the one constraint we need to hold on to is there's this sort of theme of monogamy mm-hmm. in the in the general biblical principles. Yeah. And so you should at least do hold that, to that. Sure. Right. And from a certain perspective, you can see that they're like trying to work that out. Mm-hmm. The, the difficulty is, is that if you believe that the whole Bible is God's word and you say, is this, is, are the sexual ethical commands on a trajectory mm-hmm. that the more, the more advanced we become, the fewer sexual restraints we need. Mm-hmm. Um, do some of these sexual restraint commands become obsolete? There's in the Bible, there's no trajectory on them. They're not changing. Yeah. Over time, they're utterly static. Mm-hmm. From Moses to Jesus, there's mm-hmm. no change, right? Mm-hmm. And so what Paul teaches about sexual ethics is exactly what Moses teaches about. What Jesus says about... She, he just Jesus says sexual immorality mm-hmm. as though what Moses laid down mm-hmm. is universally true and will always be true. He just mm-hmm. sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. You know what that is. It's in the Torah. Right. Right? Yeah. And so because of that, the evangelical, the Bible-believing Christian, says, okay, um... You, yeah, so the only sexuality that is allowed is the complementary family creating um, sexuality of marriage between a man and a woman, mm-hmm. one man and one woman, and so on, right? Mm-hmm. And so that creates this issue where there is a constraint that doesn't allow us to say, hey, let's be, right? And, yeah, and then you say, well, what's anything. the spirit of the law? Yeah. Is there? Are we missing something of the spirit of the... And, right. The, and, and when I go to the Bible, what I see is that our sexualities are way out of whack. And the last thing we can be trusted with is expressivism and sexuality, even in the regenerate state, even mm-hmm. when we're trying to follow Jesus. There's no point where you get the sense where, like, you know what, once you've been following Jesus for six months, your sexuality is totally under control and you do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. There's no point in the biblical teaching where that's the, what it teaches about our sexuality. Mm-hmm. At every point it says, these are the bounds. Mm-hmm. And they are utterly restrictive. And Jesus himself makes no apology for it. So when mm-hmm. Jesus talks about divorce, for example... Which is probably a better example of how we've we've loosened up, yep. right? Um, Jesus says, "Listen, if you marry somebody, you're married to them. It's period, full stop." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Well, can't we divorce?" And he's like, "No." Mm-hmm. And the people with him say, um, "Gosh, then it's probably better not to get married." Mm-hmm. Like that's their conclusion right. that marriage is not a sufficiently good institution. Right? And Jesus goes, "Well." And then he, it's a little bit sarcastic, but entirely goes, those who can accept this teaching should. Not, he's not saying it's optional. He's just saying, yeah, you're right. Look, it's a really hard teaching, but this is the teaching. Mm-hmm. This is the constraint I lay down. Mm-hmm. And um, you could argue that the homosexual movement and how people dealt with homosexuality is not that big a deal because um, actually the best estimates for homosexuality is 2.5% of the population. So it's actually a fairly small percentage of the population. Mm-hmm. And so it's probably not cataclysmic, even if we got it dead wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And so some people have said, well, then why not be liberal about it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, divorce is just the opposite, right? Divorce is everybody. Yeah. And so 
Um, the fact that we've utterly loosened up on divorce, what has that produced? And what that seems to have produced, in my view, is utter cultural chaos. Mm-hmm. And yet it's totally predictive because yeah. who, who, if they have the option to break a, the marriage relationship, why would we think more than half of them would work out? Mm-hmm. You're talking about men and women, right? Right. I mean, men and women are are complementary. Mm-hmm. They're profoundly different mm-hmm. from one another. They have profoundly different values, profoundly different interests. They get married for different reasons. Mm-hmm. They take actions for different reasons. They value mm-hmm. things in different ways. They have different. I mean, just oh my gosh, this goes on. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, like you know, men think women are crazy, and women think <laughs> men are heartless barbarians. And mm-hmm. it, you know, I mean, Chesterton once said, "It's the reason why love exists." Why God created love to put people in a state of temporary insanity that they would get married mm-hmm. and then they couldn't not be together mm-hmm. because marriage was so strong a bond <laughs> yeah. that only with visceral love and the bond of the in- unbreakable bond of marriage mm-hmm. could you ever have a human society. Mm-hmm. Right? I think he's right about that. Mm-hmm. And so as we've loosened up on divorce, what's happened? People have gone, oh, well, maybe, you know, we should just get divorced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so. Um, what I would say to Christians is um, you have to pay attention to both. Mm-hmm. You have to be hard-minded about the limiting principles. Mm-hmm. But then you always have to be vigilant about, am I actually losing the spirit in embracing? But then the second question you have to ask about cultural integration is, what way is the culture going? Mm-hmm. Christians should always be asking that question. What way is the culture going? Mm-hmm. And if you say, is the culture getting more conservative or is it getting more libertine? I think the answer is pretty obvious. Yeah. Right, especially yep. in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Right, in in, <laughs> yeah. in the West in general, in Madison, Wisconsin in particular, the the culture is moving libertine, mm-hmm. right, and it's moving um, liberating. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, it is actually producing, I think, liberations. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some ways in which I think things yeah. are better for people in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that is really just the byproduct of technology. And it's really easy to confuse the goods that are coming about because of technology mm-hmm. and the goods that are coming about through moral beauty. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we're experiencing is um, the, the moral consequences being mitigated by technology, mm-hmm. right? So you can live in an ugly way, but it actually doesn't put paint on the canvas. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that when a Christian asks, what way is the culture going? And we go, ooh, it looks like it's going kind of libertine. Mm-hmm. The, the, the goal is not to then become as conservative as possible. Right. But the goal is to recognize that yeah. and begin to figure that into your thinking mm-hmm. and be a little more hard-minded mm-hmm. against moving that way. Right. Without um, completely um, disenculturating yourself. Right. From, you know, I mean, I, think, I thought it was really cool how um, Loveless at one point, he said oh. that... Um, you know, Paul doesn't rule out the possibility that you can encounter beauty and value and love in the culture that is around us. Right. He used Philippians 4, 8, um, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, that that can be even outside of the bounds of what the Bible says. Right. And yet the unity that there is in Christ, that that is what, um, that is where the ultimate understanding of what that beauty can produce is. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, it is very important to think on these things, to recognize where culture is going and then not completely um, rejected or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Overcompensate. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. or or disengage and just right think that there's absolutely no value to anything that it's producing at all. Right, it's like the person that believes that they're right because they disagree with you. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like mm-hmm. s- somehow saying no is right, 
It's not right. It, you know, one of the things that the, one of the reasons why the church doesn't have more authority on the issue of homosexuality is because for a long time our position was just no. Mm-hmm. It was like no, that's perverted. That's right. terrible. And be, and we and the church really didn't go. Wait, what are these people experiencing? What is that like? How do they feel? Mm-hmm. What's going on? What are our options? Let's look closely at what the Bible says. Are we being more restrictive than we need right. to be? Are we being less restrictive than we? Like, that's not really what happened. What happened was there was a conservative posture mm-hmm. at a moment where we were maximally conservative. Okay, this is a point where there were like laws against sodomy and there were like gays did not have space. Mm-hmm. And so in that posture, if, we would, if Christians would have said, where is the culture? They would have said, oh, the culture is very conservative, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's moving culturally more libertine, but it's still very conservative, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe we need to listen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think you always need to listen, but you need to know where the culture is going. Yeah. And so in this case, it's kind of like, okay, how much farther do you guys want to push this? Mm-hmm. Right? We've pushed this pretty far, yeah. right? And we're to the point where now where we're not sure there's genders, mm-hmm. right? And there's a certain point where you have to be like, okay, yeah, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes one of the difficulties that that creates for people who believe very strongly in cultural engagement, which is very important, mm-hmm. sometimes cultures historically will get to a place where for a period of time, they will hold cultural beliefs that will put Christian faith in exile. And they'll be like, I can't even listen to you because of certain things we hold to, which a generation later will be one of the reasons why they do listen. Mm -hmm. And so um, if, if, for example, if Christians hold to a biblical view of sexual ethics, not just related to homosexuality, but but across the board, divorce is not okay Mm -hmm. in in virtually all cases. There's Mm -hmm. only a couple exceptions in the Bible where it's okay. In virtually almost all cases, it's not. Um, Fornication is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Like... All this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. we stand consistently across the board in the sexual ethic. Um, it may be that the next generation looks at us and goes, you guys were right all along mm-hmm. this. I wonder if you're right on other things too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When they see the fruit, the yeah. catastrophic fruit of fatherlessness right. and broken families and hurt mm-hmm. and all of that that's being produced by this, mm-hmm. at some point, reality sets in enough where people go, yeah, this is crazy, mm-hmm. right? And then they start looking to who is right all along. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now... The first question people want to ask you is, what's your position on the gayness thing? Right. Right. Is transgenderism awesome? Like, did you go to the gay parade, the gay mm-hmm. pride parade? And if you don't, if you're not affirmative, if you're like, well, I'm this sort of thing, you're out. Right. You are just not part of culture or, or polite society. Mm-hmm. And so Christians do have to recognize that there are moments and times where you'll feel philosophically exiled. Mm-hmm. And you'll want to compromise on the thing because right. you want to engage the culture. And I don't think that you can do that. Right. I think you need to find a way to engage the culture while being faithful both to the restrictions of the Bible and also the liberties of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of Christians that faced a lot of hardship because they were the first to the liberties of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And some of the early Christians who realized from the Bible that slavery was wrong, for example. There were a lot of Christians in the early church. There were, some, there were a couple of bishops that became Christians. When they became Christians, they freed all their slaves. Mm-hmm. And there were some people that were killed for that. Hmm. 
and there was an enormous amount of turmoil in the Roman Empire because it was based on a slavery. All ancient cultures were based on slavery cultures. Mm-hmm. Christianity was the first major cultural movement that was like, mm-hmm. yeah, Flip we're going to create a culture. Yeah. That's where serfdom came from. The mm-hmm. whole medieval thing that we learned in high school was so horrifically bad for serfs, which it wasn't good for serfs. Mm-hmm. But it was a significant improvement on slavery, which is what every culture before that was based on. Mm -hmm. Because Christians were like, wait a second, we have to have authority. We have to have people who lead in battle and that raise armies and that kind of stuff. So the idea of having kings and lords made sense to them. Mm -hmm. But yet you couldn't have slaves. And so what do we do with all these peasants? Mm -hmm. What happens? And so, and then it took about a thousand years to figure that out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, but there were these Christians that were the first to this, mm-hmm. that prostitution was wrong. Mm-hmm. There were thousands of years of human life. Mm-hmm. Never occurred to people that prostitution was profoundly wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? Just, yeah. Right? Yeah. Or that or that older males raping younger boys, that's something wrong with that. That was just kind of not really, I mean, it's kind of look, right. looked down on. But like Greek and Roman culture didn't have, because of their system of gods, their gods were worse than they were. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really have this, like, that's wrong. Sure. Like, in an objective moral sense. Mm-hmm. Eudaimonia was this idea of the good life, that if you live in proper sophrosinic balance, right, that, mm-hmm. like, Aristotle would be like, if you're in the right balance, everything's in its place. Mm-hmm. You can live an ordered life. Mm-hmm. And ordered life will live, lead to a good life. That's not objectively moral. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. It was Christianity that's like, no, this is right because God, God is morally perfect. He's not like Hera or Zeus or any of these people. Mm-hmm. That's what Augustine says in the city of God. He's like, listen, the reason why you people behave so badly is because your gods are worse than you are. And if the gods behave this way, why can't you behave this mm-hmm. way? Right? How can Zeus say don't commit adultery when that's all he ever does? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But the God who was incarnate in Jesus Christ is morally perfect and morally beautiful. Mm-hmm. And therefore he can say don't do that. It's wrong. Full stop. Mm-hmm. has nothing to do with whether it's an ordered life or whether you'll be blessed or what, nothing. Mm-hmm. This is right and this is wrong, objectively speaking. And it is wrong to enslave people. And so Christians who came to these truths early oftentimes suffered. So Christians have suffered from from being regulative and saying, no, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. And, and pulling back and conserving and saying, no, this is a place where God has put a wall and we don't have the right to cross it. Mm-hmm. And Christians have suffered from saying, hey, wait a second, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Abolitionists are a good example from the 3rd century all the way to the right. 18th um, and 19th century. And so Christians will always experience that. We will always experience being attacked for being liberators. Mm-hmm. And we will always be attacked for being conservers mm-hmm. of God's proper limitations. Mm-hmm. And that is just called being faithful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just have to like tie your shoes a little tighter. Mm-hmm. Put on your belt and your yeah. big boy pants and, you, you know, live life well. Yeah, and recognize that you very well might not see the fruit that that is going to produce long term. Where like you were saying it took thousands of years to change some of these things. And, and yet if people don't stand firm right now, even if in their lifetime they don't see the effects, mm-hmm. that is what it means to be faithful. Oh, yeah. Something to, Wilberforce yeah. and many of the Quakers, mm-hmm. Mennonites, which is hated. Mm-hmm. For being abolitionists. I mean, you, you should read some of the stuff from the 1700s and 1800s written against the abolitionists. It's just the personal attacks yeah. and the personal hatred mm-hmm. of people who are like, look, you just can't slave people. Mm-hmm. Especially in, in America, after Calhoun, when there was this kind of ideology that grew up around the inferiority of blacks and how they needed white people to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And when people were like, no, we can set them free, um, people were like, so you want to set these rabid dogs loose to kill mm-hmm. us, right? And... But yet, these Christian, most all, almost all of them were Christians, and almost all of them were Bible-believing Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, said, 
no, it's just wrong mm-hmm. to enslave people. I don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you educate and populate and enfranchise 10 million people, mm-hmm. but we have we to. to. Right. We need to stop this. That's right. All men, are, mm-hmm. all men are endowed by their creator mm-hmm. with certain inalienable rights. That's a theological statement about mm-hmm. Christian, Judeo-Christian faith. It's true or it's not. That's what Lincoln said everywhere. Lincoln's mm-hmm. like, look, are they humans? Mm-hmm. Well, then... This isn't hard. What's hard is what we're going to do, not what we must do, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think every Christian, so even though we feel like the culture might be moving to more libertine, to Mm -hmm. loosening up, there are still areas of true liberation Mm -hmm. that we should be for. Mm -hmm. They're they're out there. We just have to figure out what they are. Right. Um, For example, the whole anti-sex trafficking movement. Now, I realize I've said negative things about it because I think it's kind of like the hip thing. And there's just certain things about fads sure. I don't like, and Christians can be really given to fads, mm-hmm. especially younger evangelicals. Mm-hmm. But the modern anti-sex trafficking movement is was started and run by evangelicals. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it was the, it was the heartbeat of, of evangelicals, mm-hmm. right? International justice mission, all that's accomplished, and global justice, um, widows' rights, private property rights. A lot of that's been spearheaded by evangelical Bible-believing Christians mm-hmm. because they believe that these were oppressions that need to be liberated mm-hmm. right and the bible was telling them that mm-hmm. um and then there's and then they're functioning from the same ultimate reality that people who are like our divorce laws are fundamentally unjust right um and divorce should not be this easy mm-hmm. and it's terrible for children in particular right mm-hmm. and um it's going to take us probably 40 years to reconvince people that every child has the right to live with both of their parents mm-hmm. And that is that right is more fundamental than the right to happiness of the wife that gets like angry with her husband or the the guy who gets nagged too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, right. And mm-hmm. but God sees that, and God has enjoined it on us, and we are supposed to say it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you you just got to be ready, mm-hmm. and you got to do the work of the mind of Christ, having the mind of Christ. You yeah. got to do the work of. Theological integration. You've got to do the work of, I'm blind in places. I need to get off these cultural mm-hmm. blinders, conservative or libertine ones. Mm-hmm. And I need to, I, and so the, so what the average Christian just has to realize is, my goal is to have the mind of Christ. Yeah. It's not just to, just to be saved or just to go to church. My goal, and, or just to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. My goal is not to read the Bible. It's to have the mind of Christ, mm-hmm. to think his thoughts after him, to see reality the way he sees it, to understand the world around me in my own life the way I I must. Mm-hmm. And that's a big job. But it's it's also simple. It's right. it's just day in and day out, reading your reading the scriptures, understanding the gospel, mm-hmm. being mentored, being just, thoughtful about your life. Right. I the theme that I just keep hearing is you just we just have to stop and actually think about the things that we're that we're claim that we're holding on to so tightly, the mm-hmm. different beliefs that we have and um and actually evaluate them daily to see if it is in fact something that does align with the mind of Christ. Absolutely. And some people will hear this and go, oh, Nick you wants me to be philosophical. And that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. I want you to hear that. That's not what I'm saying. Reflection and like philosophical deliberation are not the same, the same thing. Right. Right? You, can, you can drive in your car to work and think, I'm a baker. How would one be a Christian baker? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Are there things I can do that that bless people more? Or what does God want me to do with my money? Or mm-hmm. how do I 
you know, how do I help people around me keep their marriages together? Mm -hmm. Because our divorce laws aren't the main injustice of divorce. If we were all perfectly virtuous people, we could have any divorce laws we wanted. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't matter. Because we'd all just stay married. Because we're good people. Mm -hmm. And so the the question we say is, okay, how do we help people keep their marriages together? Mm -hmm. How do we help people stay in love? How do we help people grow in virtue? How do we help people believe that their kids have the right to live in close proximity to both their parents Mm -hmm. day in and day out? That they need both an immediate mother and an immediate father Mm -hmm. and so on. And when we do that, when you you think about, I mean, those are not hard concepts. Um, They might be a little difficult, but it's not difficult to think this is important. How can I encourage people? Right. What, what what should I approve and not approve of? Yeah, the biggest the biggest difficult the biggest difficulty greatest difficulty is going to be the transition into actually thinking those questions and getting in the habit of asking yourself those questions rather than just mindlessly listening to the radio on your way to work or mm-hmm. asking you know surfacey questions to friends and family, but to actually um, yeah get in the habit of actually thinking about those things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I'm not against, like, I'm coming back to car time because I think car time mm-hmm. is an t- amount of time that a lot of people could redeem. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people just, even good Christians, will be like, well, I'm going to turn on the Christian radio, mm-hmm. right? And Or even listen to Christian radio preaching, even, or podcasts like this one. Mm-hmm. But there's some point at which you have to stop and deal with your own stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if you're feeling kind of not happy about your life, you could listen to uplifting Christian music, right? Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, oh, this is so uplifting. I feel better. Okay, yeah. But why did you feel bad in the first right. place? And what's going on in your life? Mm-hmm. And in what way are you making something that's secondary primary? Mm-hmm. Like something that's supposed to be God's good gift into an idol and its own God. Mm-hmm. And in what way can you repent of that and let it loose and be free and not fall into this depression so you've got to listen to uplifting music on the way home? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. And that, just that kind of thing. Or like, you know, we're talking about theological integration. At some point, shut this off, right? Which yep. we'll do in like one minute, right? Yep. <laughs> and say, yeah, what in my, what, what's something in my life I should try to think through in relationship to Jesus? Mm-hmm. And what that also does is it creates an infinite amount of conversations with Christian friends. Mm-hmm. That if you have real spiritual friendships where Jesus can come up, we, so we talk about this all the time, right? Yeah. Um, the goal is not to have a quote Christian friendship where you're friends with somebody who's a Christian. The quote is the the thing we want is to have a relationship with Christians that are spiritual friendships where anything can come up, including Jesus, including having the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so now, with all of your spiritual friendships, you have an Im- infinite number of conversations. Mm-hmm. What would it look like to have the mind of Christ in relationship to this headline? Mm-hmm. What would it look like to have the mind of Christ in relationship to my job, my family, yeah. my eight kids at this age, my this mm-hmm. conflict I'm having, whatever? Mm-hmm. What would it look like to have the mind of Christ? And now you've got it. You can talk for days and days and days with your Christian friends. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. I'm hearing that challenge. I mean, yeah, listeners out there, now would be a good time to just shut it off and um, think about some of the things that, of the places of life that you are in right now where you can really begin to develop the mind of Christ and just sit and soak that up and sit in that for a while. Yeah. And if you're the kind of person that's naturally conservative, when you read mm-hmm. the Bible, try to be open to where the Bible is saying, no, you need to open up on this. Mm-hmm. You need to open your heart on this mm-hmm. thing. You need to whatever, right? And if you're a normally a liberal person, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, it's let's you know, mm-hmm. uh, you need to think. Wait, no, no. The Jesus says this far and no further on hundreds of things. Mm-hmm. And how do you need to understand how we bring liberation and liberty mm-hmm. in a way that is rightly constrained, 
so that it will be the kind of liberty that produces the justice and peace we all seek, mm-hmm. whether we're conservative or liberal in our natural inclinations to the heart. Because ultimately, conservative and liberal are not political parties. Right. They are internal inclinations of the human heart. Mm-hmm. Usually we're given to one or the other. Yeah. And sometimes that's all there is to our politics. Mm-hmm. Our, 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 which yeah. one of those we're, we're predisposed to. Mm-hmm. And the Bible will challenge us on both accounts yeah. if we listen to God mm-hmm. and how he speaks to us through it. Great. Thanks, Nick. And thank you, listeners, for uh, engaging um, in our Engage and Equip podcast. Hope you have a great day, and we'll catch you again soon. Bye, everybody.